Welcome to the Lancet Respiratory Medicine Podcast. I'm Diana Stanley, Deputy Editor of the Journal, and I'm very pleased to introduce Dr. Tim Nicholson from King's College London and Dr. Sarah Gorst from the University of Liverpool. Tim and Sarah are authors of an international Delphi consensus study published in the journal. For this study, you teamed up with an international group of experts with the aim of providing consensus on a core outcome measurement set for long COVID or post-COVID-19 condition. But first, what was the driving force behind the study and how does it add to your previous consensus paper on core outcome sets for long COVID? Uh, thank you. So yes, so I'm Tim Nicholson. I'm a neuropsychiatrist at King's College London. And, and from the start of the pandemic, uh, a team came together, uh, myself, Daniel Mumblett uh, from Sessionov University in Moscow, who is now at King's, uh, Paula Williamson at, at Liverpool, and Dale Needham at Johns Hopkins, came together with the through the World Health Organization, uh, recognizing the need for uh, consensus and agreement on, on how we measure long COVID, this new and evolving condition. So getting consensus really allows us to compare and collate data uh, more in a, in a more efficient way and therefore accelerates the evidence-based generation for research and particularly treatments. Um, so we, we came together and uh, went through the, the process of, of mapping out how to do this uh, as rapidly as possible with as uh, rapid and as efficient methodology as we could manage. Uh, so uh, we also got some funding from the UK's National Institute of Health and Care Research, the NIHR, that helped kickstart the process and with a huge team of international colleagues and particularly critically with patient input, we really got going um, uh, about a year after the pandemic started in, in this uh, quest really. Uh, so at the first part, the uh, what to measure stage came out uh, in Atlanta Respiratory Medicine just over a year ago and this is the second phase of how we measure uh, long COVID. Great. Could you briefly describe the consensus process and in particular the groups of people that were involved and why they were chosen to be involved? Um, yeah, so thanks, Diana. Um, I'm Sarah Gost. I'm a researcher at the University of Liverpool and I work with an initiative called COMI, and which refers to core outcome measures in effectiveness trials. So in this second phase of the PCCOS project, we followed the COSM and COMIC guideline. So Comet, as I said, um, where I'm based, and we focus on the development and the application of core outcome sets. And Cosman, which is based in the Netherlands, and they refer to the consensus-based standards for the selection of health measurement instruments. And together, Comet and Cosman produce guidance on how to select measurement instruments for outcomes included in a core outcome set. Now, the consensus process for this second stage involved a three-round Delphi survey, and this is where participants were asked to rate how suitable they felt each outcome measurement instrument was for measuring the particular outcome that was included in the core outcome set that uh, Tim mentioned previously. And in the subsequent rounds, they were then asked to re-rate the outcome measures uh, whilst taking into account the views of other stakeholders. So for each measure that they were asked to rate, the participants were provided with an instrument card uh, which listed key details about the instruments. Uh, this included an online example, an approximate length of time to complete, uh, the cost and licensing details, and scoring information. And these instrument cards are all available on the PCCOS website at www.pc-cos.org. Now, following the Delphi survey, we held an online interactive consensus meeting where those instruments that were rated most highly by all stakeholder groups in the survey were then prioritised for, dis for discussion. 
And so um, for the instruments that were discussed, participants will provide their arguments in favour of inclusion or exclusion before voting anonymously um, using Zoom polls for whether the instrument should be included in the core outcome measurement set. And we had three main groups of people involved in the process. And that was people with post-COVID-19 condition and their family members or caregivers. And I'll move on to just um, highlighting the importance of these um, in a moment. Um, I'll just let you know about the other two groups. So we had healthcare professionals and researchers um, who must have had experience of treating people with post-COVID-19 condition or of experience of conducting research in the field. And then we had a third group of healthcare professionals and researchers who had themselves experience a post-COVID-19 condition. So these were a unique group um, that had the medical and research expertise, but also that lived experience, which was important. So in total, we have 594 individuals from 58 countries, and 50% of these were people with post-COVID condition or their family members. And the inclusion of these individuals was particularly important because they're the people who have the experience of living with long COVID. So many core outcome measure set, measurement set studies neglect to include patients or members of the public in the process to select the outcome measures, as some may feel that expertise in outcome measures is needed. However, we felt it was crucial to include those with lived experience, as they're the people who will be completing the outcome measurement instruments that we recommend, and so they need to be acceptable to them. And so to facilitate their involvement, um, we will involvement of all stakeholders. We develop the instrument cards that I mentioned before. And for the benefit of people with lived experience, the cards included a plain language summary, um, which were developed in collaboration uh, with people with long COVID. That's great. Thank you. Um, what were the key findings of the study? And could you comment on why you think consensus was only reached um, for a few of the outcome measures um, and also the distinction you made between recommended and suggested measures? Thanks. Yes. Yeah. So the key finding really was that we managed to reduce the total number of measures uh, from 319 down to 19 during the consensus process. So a big reduction in uh, the, the total number that perhaps should be considered. So this is for all 12 of the outcome domains, so the aspects of a disorder that need to be measured or we considered needed to be measured in the first part of this process, so the what to measure phase. So two of these domains, recovery and survival, had predefined and agreed measures uh, that we went straight in without us needing to look at how to measure them. But for the remaining 10, consensus was only achieved for one domain in terms of a single measure for this, and this was uh, using the MRC dyspnea scale for measuring respiratory symptoms. For the other nine outcome domains, so fatigue, pain, cardiovascular, post-exertion, nervous system, cognitive, mental health symptoms, physical functioning, and work and occupation changes, choices whittled down to between one and three measures for each of those, uh, depending on which one you look at. So for these, there were no clear consensus on what to measure. So uh, that's where these uh, get, it comes down to the ones that we would recommend people to consider rather than recommend it. So um, this is the critical difference. So uh, at this point, we didn't have much consensus for other, anything other than respiratory symptoms in terms of everybody agreeing by our predefined consensus criteria. So the reasons for that are perhaps quite complex. Uh, I think the most obvious one would be that this is a new disorder we don't know much about. It's also incredibly uh, heterogeneous in terms of the number and range of symptoms that each individual will get. So it's difficult for people to agree on not only what types of symptoms, but you know within that uh, domain, uh, how it should be measured. Um, 
So, and this is perhaps something we'll come back to later on as well. It's it's also difficult to uh, work out whether it's best to have uh, a, a scale that's made for an, another disorder or something that's perhaps made specifically for long COVID itself. Yes, that, I can see that would be really difficult. How can these findings be used to inform future research and clinical care? For the three outcomes for which measurement instruments have been included in the measurement set, so as Tim said, it's survival, recovery and respiratory functioning, the recommended instruments are time until death, the recovery scale for COVID-19 and the modified MRC dyspnea scale. They should be used in all post-COVID-19 research and clinical practice settings. So, for example, when a researcher is conducting a clinical trial to assess the effectiveness of an intervention for post-COVID condition. They should be measuring the 12 core outcomes uh, that we reached agreement on in the what phase. And for those outcomes that we've reached agreement on how to measure, that I've just um, covered earlier, they should be using those recommended measures. And just to note, they can also use additional measures for the outcomes if they wish, because a core outcome measurement set is the minimum set of instruments for all settings internationally irrespective of resources and therefore additional instruments might be warranted in certain settings. It's just important that all studies measure these core outcomes uh, using the core measures. For the remaining nine outcomes for which there was no consensus on measurement instruments, the instruments that have the greatest level of support should be considered for use and this will help to reduce uh, the substantial heterogeneity in the measurements of post-COVID-19 condition. And so researchers and clinicians need to consider how suitable these measures are for their particular study or setting. For example, the availability of the instrument in the appropriate language and its feasibility, um, so in terms of patient burden. And this information can all be found in the instrument cards uh, that I mentioned, which are listed on the PCCOS website. Great, thank you. And what settings can the outcome measures be used? Are these only applicable to high-income countries? Can they be used globally in lower-income countries as well? Thanks. This is really important because one of the key aims of our study was to ensure that this core outcome set was something that could be used globally. So this was when we got together with WHO and other colleagues to make sure that this wasn't something that was only recommended for high-resource settings. Uh, So... It, we, this should be a, something that's able to be used from the most sparsely resourced to the most well-resourced settings and also across clinical and uh, research use. So from the from the simplest of setups to the most uh, complex uh, inter- and well-resourced research study you could imagine. Uh, so as such, the measures that we needed to consider had to be ones that weren't either expensive or labor-intensive or hard to for people to access. So scans, blood tests, face-to-face interviews or complex tests of cognition, uh, so they need to be done over the phone or online um, uh, simply as well. And as such, this core outcome set should be able to be used in all research and clinical settings. And as uh, Sarah just mentioned, it doesn't mean that people can't, and they often will, want to add other things on top of this to do more complex testing that fits their resources and the needs of the population that they are either looking after clinically or researching. Yeah, thank you. That's really important. Um, in the context of such a rapidly evolving research landscape, What do you think are the next steps to achieve consensus for the outcomes that didn't reach that level and how to build on this core outcome set of measures for long COVID? So the key next step will be to undertake further research regarding um, those measurement instruments that didn't reach consensus. And so as Tim alluded to earlier, um, it's going to be important to compare the existing generic measurement instruments 
that were not designed for or validated in post-COVID-19 condition? Would those that have been developed specifically for post-COVID-19 condition? So, for example, how does an instrument designed for post-exertion symptoms in chronic fatigue syndrome perform compared with the instruments that have been developed for post-COVID-19 condition? And um, future studies of measurement properties and future consensus process projects should, follow, should focus on these questions to advance research and clinical practice. Additionally, for some outcomes, there's a need for translation and cultural adaptation of the existing instruments. Um, and this would benefit not only post-COVID-19 condition, but many other conditions, as these instruments are designed to be used in many different health areas. For other outcomes, such as cognitive and mental health functioning, it will be important to investigate whether a single measure can capture all aspects of that particular outcome or whether multiple measures are needed for different components of the outcome. And then also the reassessment and updating of the core outcome measurement set will also be needed. Um, and this will be when new data emerges on post-COVID-19 condition and also data on uh, related measurement instruments as well. And lastly, what do you think are the pressing questions for research into long COVID more generally? And how will we use the core outcome measurement set um, to address these questions in the coming years? Thanks. So, so this is a huge amount of work still to be done. Um, we're now three years into uh, long COVID existing and understanding that it's a really serious, complex problem that's affecting a lot of people uh, globally. So I think we still don't have any good treatments for this disorder. And so I think focusing on developing treatments has to be a massive priority. But of course, understanding the mechanisms of long COVID, it clearly goes hand in hand with that about uh, not only what treatments to try, but perhaps targeting treatments to different subtypes. And I think that's where the clinical work in characterizing and differentiating different subtypes of long COVID or different contributions and different mechanisms is going to be critical. So that's something I think that really should be focused on. And this core outcome set can not only accelerate the the accumulation of evidence and deciding from different, you know, putting together data from different trials to make sure it, we can we can synthesize that data accurately. But also, I think measuring things accurately, uh, both in clinics and in uh, research populations, to look for uh, sub uh, types of this disorder will be helpful. So I think, that alongside that, we might be able to get biomarkers and other key things for the management of this uh, this, this very significant global health problem. Thank you again to Tim and Sarah for joining us today. If you would like to read the study discussed in the podcast today, please visit thelancet.com, where you can also listen to this podcast and all previous podcasts on the Lancet Respiratory Medicine. Thank you again for listening.